Well, um, uh, we started, believe it or not, way back in February, working through the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, the, the, the series is called Growing Pains, and, and it's, um, it's this letter that was written to a childish church in a city called Corinth, and it was written to help them grow up in their walk with the Lord. So the situation was that their faith was genuine, but it was juvenile, and they were stuck spiritually in different areas in all kinds of ways. And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter to help them get unstuck, to challenge them in different ways to, to grow up in the Lord. And uh, the, the reality is that we have a heavenly Father who loves us. He, he loves you. He loves me. But like any good father, he intends for us, for all of his children, to, to grow. Um, and maybe as we've made our way through this, um, through this series, you've been able to pick up some traces of the, the, the Corinthians' childishness um, in your own life, those areas of immaturity. So a quick recap. Um, there's this immaturity that makes too much of people and personalities. Um, in the Corinthians, it was they had like, we've got the Paul camp and we've got the Apollos camp, these two teachers, right? And, you know, there's plenty of people today, uh, Christians today, who make it all about this guy or that gal or my pastor or that podcast or this author or leader or teacher or YouTube channel or whatever it is. And as a reminder, don't get stuck on turning servants into celebrities. That misses the point, right? Maturity means making it about the master, making it about his gospel message. And so we can appreciate the messengers, the people God uses, but let's not make idols out of them. There's also the immaturity that kind of imports worldly attitudes and expectations into our, into our faith walk. So for the Corinthians, they, they set their sights on turning into royalty. They, they, they had in their hearts, the desire to be like, like royalty. They thought Jesus was the fast pass to a life of luxury. And it's kind of like those, at least some of those TV preachers you hear who you know, claim Jesus will give you anything you ask for, right? All you got to do to start the process is send up a sizable donation to my ministry and it's all going to get started. Um, Paul reminds them, he reminds us, uh, by his own example, that Jesus didn't come to reign, he came to serve, and maturity sets its sights, its expectations on a kingdom that is not of this world. Uh, sometimes immaturity is just plain old passivity when there's, when there's sin issues that need to be addressed, but we just keep our mouths closed and stay silent on or sometimes it's that, it's that selfish consumer mindset that refuses to appreciate the connection to the family of God, to other believers, the reality that Jesus' people are connected together as a church community, uh, the body of Christ. And back in Corinth, that selfishness showed up when they went to the Lord's table. Uh, basically said, it's not my problem if there's nothing left for you to receive communion. You should have got here sooner. That's how it worked. And maturity says, no, it is my problem. We're in this together. You are my concern. And uh, other times, immaturity just takes the form of spiritual pride. 
Uh, you know, when we use our spiritual gifts to showcase ourselves and make much of us instead of making much of Jesus, and we can kind of get bent on this idea that what I do, what I got, what I bring to the table matters more than everybody else. But maturity recognizes that every part of the body of Christ is essential. And we need all the gifts working together to build up a strong church family. So that kind of took us to chapter 13, and uh, we took a deeper dive into that chapter, the love chapter, uh, this past summer. And, and we applied it sort of overall to relationships in general. But, um, but as we're continuing on with this book, it's worth noting that it was actually written right in the middle of these instructions about exercising spiritual gifts, that basically is saying, let love lead the way we use the gifts that we've been given by God. And, and so that brings us to where we are today, chapter 14, uh, which is actually, it's actually a case study on what that looks like, using spiritual gifts in a loving manner. And so we're going to take two weeks to work through this chapter. And it's, it's a chapter I'm really excited about. One of the reasons is that this chapter um, gives us more detail about what gathered corporate worship looked like in the early church than pretty much any other chapter, any other place in the whole Bible. And so we're going to find some really good stuff in here, some um, some timeless truths, but don't go looking for specific structures. Sometimes people do that. You know, this is the way we ought to do church, this way, not that way. There's a lot of different ways to structure things. Uh, but what this is going to show us are some of the priorities um, for what we aim after when we gather together corporately. And so to set this passage up, what I want to do is just fill you in on the controversy. This is what is being addressed here. The Corinthians uh, church, they had this controversy over the place of the gift of speaking in tongues in the context of corporate worship. So to kind of play that out, that gift of tongues, it's a, it's a Holy Spirit empowerment to speak in a language that's not known. So if I were to be here this morning and I start speaking Swahili, um, you know, a language that you don't know, that I don't know, that would be absolutely a spectacular supernatural thing to witness, right? You would say there is no human explanation for that. But the question is, is, is that the point? Just to be wowed by a spectacular supernatural uh, manifestation. Um, that's what this is getting at. Is that it or is there more to it? So, so when we talk about this gift of tongues, it could be a human language. It could also refer to a heavenly language, the, the gift of angels. It was actually mentioned in the last chapter in chapter 13. So, okay, so having said that, uh, I will note that, you know, that specific issue, it may or it may not be something that kept you awake last night. Right, you know, some of you guys maybe you're wrestling with that, losing sleep over it. Most of you, probably not. But stay tuned in because number one, it's in God's word, and that means it's relevant. There's something in here that matters to us, and I think the principles that we're going to draw out of here, you're going to see they apply to many situations 
uh, that we come across in our lives today. So, so let's start out reading 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I'll start with uh, verse 1. It says this, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in tongues builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. All right, so what we see here is uh, one of the primary purposes of gathering together as a church body. Why do we do it? It's to build each other up. Um, That is the reason why God calls you to get up on a Sunday morning, get your butt out of bed, get dressed, get cleaned up, and get here instead of sleeping in and reading the paper or putting on ESPN. Right? That's what it's about. We need to be built up, all of us, to be strengthened, to be encouraged in our faith. And, and that's what we see here. This, this word for built up, it's, the Greek word is oikodomeo, and it's repeated four times in these five verses. Um, oftentimes, it's translated as edify. We need to be edified. But the same meaning, the literal meaning is built up. It's actually the, the verb that they would use If you were a builder, if you're building a building and you're going about constructing it, you would use that word, oikodomeo. Jesus, actually, when he told the story about the wise man who who built his house on the rock, he used that same word. He oikodomeoed it. He built it. And and then in in Acts, actually, Acts 9.31, it gets applied to the church community. It says this, then the church enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened or edified and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So that's, that's what we're looking at, this strengthening. God, God built up the church numerically, spiritually, and the idea is that God intends to have the local church be a strengthening center. That's his heart. The local church is a strengthening center. We come together to build each other up so we can be like that house on the rock. We grow stronger and stand strong through the the storms of life as we're strengthened. And so the question is, does does anyone here this morning need to be strengthened, right? I think we all do, right? There's none of us who can't use being strengthened. Maybe, Maybe you've noticed that in the world out there that we live in, it doesn't tend to do a whole lot to build up our faith walk, right? It doesn't tend to inspire us to dig deeper into the things of God. It actually tends to do the opposite. It, it breaks us down. It tears us apart. It discourages us. It, it weakens us. And so that's the reason why we need to be strengthened. We're, we're edified. And, and what we see here, there's two different settings for being edified. One is on a daily basis, as we carve out time and space to meet with God, to pray, to dig into his word, to spend time with the Lord. And then it also happens in a corporate setting when we gather together like we're doing right here 
and every Sunday morning. And so the point, the main point, is that the aim of personal edification when you're at home on your own, it's different than the aim of corporate edification when we're all gathered together. Okay, so does that make sense? Like, I think that's, that's, that's kind of the main point. When, when you're with the Lord at home on your own, it's kind of like a direct connect. It's just you and him, right? And the goal is just to build yourself up. But at church, when we come together, it's, it's a different setting. Um, it's not just about you and the Lord. It's about you and you and you and you and all of us and the Lord, those around you. And so in that setting, the goal is to build each other up, not just build me up. And so that's why Paul presses the point. He says, the gift of prophecy is greater than the gift of tongues. In verse 2, the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men but to God, while the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So is that saying that prophecy is categorically greater? No. What it's getting at is that it's the appropriate um, gift for the occasion. So it's sort of like the same reason why when you go out to a restaurant and you eat with someone, you put your cell phone on silent or you stick it in your pocket, right? You do that, right? Good. Okay. Yeah, because now do you do that because the person that you're eating with is greater than the person who's trying to get a hold of you? No. I mean, you know, maybe, but probably not. But um, you do that because it's appropriate for the occasion that you're in, right? The whole reason you went out of your way to go to eat out with someone is to spend time with that person that you're with. And uh, another analogy would be like when I go to work out. If I'm going to work out by myself, I'll, I'll put on my wireless headphones and I'll play some tunes. It helps motivate me. It gets me going, gets my blood flowing. But if you've invited me over to your house for a barbecue, I'm going to leave the headphones at home, right? Because I am there to engage with people, not to just build myself up with 80s music. Um, and that's just kind of, you know, just proper manners and etiquette. That's just 101 kinds of stuff. And it's not that one's right and the other's wrong. It's that prophecy is appropriate for the corporate setting while tongues is appropriate for a private setting. That's, that's the main idea, and I think if we get that, the rest of the passage kind of opens up. It makes sense. It plays out. And before, though, we move on to that, I'll just kind of press a little bit. Um, you know, oftentimes people will come to church and they'll tell me, I am so glad to be here I just have to have my time with God. I need to tune everybody out and have my own personal focused time with the Lord at church. And, you know, and sometimes even like worship leaders will encourage that. You know, close your eyes, forget everyone around you and make it just about you and God. And what I would tell you is good instructions, just make sure that you're connected to the right setting, right? That's appropriate when you're at home on your own. But church is different. Being together is something unique. We're, 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 we're gathered together in worship, not just as a bunch of individual believers having our own personal worship time in the same setting. That's not what it's about. 
when we're gathered together, that's not the time to tune out. In fact, it's, it's the time to tune in, to look around, to be aware of what's going on around you because God has brought us together to build each other up. That's what he wants to do. It's what he wants to do this morning. There are people through which he will intend to work through and bless you and build you up that are here this morning. And he wants to work through you to build others up this morning. And so we don't want to miss out. That's, that's a big part of what church is all about. So edification, uh, building up is the goal. Let's keep on um, looking at the passage. And the second point is that edification requires communication. So it says this, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none are without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So therefore... One who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what am I to do? I will pray in my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. All right, so we'll stop there and just kind of work through this. There's a lot here. Um, we've already said edification. Um, that's the core value of corporate worship. And what this is saying is that edification it requires crystal clear communication. Um, if no one's able to comprehend what's being said, then the end result is what you would call nonsense. That's what the passage calls nonsense. And what the passage is saying is that gathered worship is not the place for nonsense. So comprehension is critical. Verse 6, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Now, again, we have to remember it's, it's about the setting you're in, the setting of corporate worship. Paul, he thanks God. I speak in tongues more than all of you guys. But, um, but nevertheless, he says, in church, when we're together, gathered, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So the emphasis is on intelligibility and instruction. In other words, if my goal is to be strengthened, if edification is the core value, then there's going to be some intelligence involved. That's, 
That's how we strengthen each other, by, by giving each other something that makes sense, something that strengthens and actually engages the mind that God's given us. And I think that might be worth emphasizing sometimes is that your mind, our minds, are gifts from God. There, there has been over the years some, some traditions in church that uh, treat the mind like an enemy to be overcome, right? Like I, I've actually heard people say, I knew this was from God. I knew this was his will because it made no sense to me at all. Like that's the distinguishing mark. Like, what is that about? It made no sense to you at all, so it must be from God. Last time I checked, God gave you your mind. <laughs> he, he calls us to worship him with our minds, not by, not by turning our minds off, but by renewing our minds. And according to Romans 12 too, that's, that's when we're able to approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, so this is just the reality to put out there. Now, in private, that's not always the case. The gift of tongues is, I think that this passage is speaking about, it seems to be uh, what many call a private prayer language that's addressed directly to God. And if you have that gift, somehow your spirit connects and communes with the spirit of God in a way that bypasses the brain. And in no way is that a negative. Uh, in the book of Romans, Paul talks about the Spirit himself testifying, not with our brains, but with our spirits, that, that we're God's children. And, and how the Spirit helps us when we don't know how to pray, that he intercedes for us with, with groans that words can't express. And, and many uh, commentators see that as the same thing, this, this, this prayer language. Um, and, and I know many believers who, who pray in tongues and they testify that it brings them renewed passion for prayer, for the Lord, for scripture, for worship, for serving, and all that is good. But it's out of place in the gathered community. Un unless it's interpreted and it makes sense. Because Sunday morning, it's just not the place for nonsense. It's not the time where you want people to leave saying, you know, that was really cool, but I have no idea what was going on, <laughs> right? The priority is simply on crystal clear communication because there is something urgent. There is an urgent message God wants each of us to hear, to receive, to know, and to take home. And it matters. It matters to him that that message gets out. And so it ought to matter to us as well. And so the direction is to make it loud and strong and bold as a trumpet blast because that's what builds up the body. All right, we'll keep on going and uh, see that the last part of it is that this understanding, um, this actually paves the way for, for transformation. He says this, brothers... Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it's written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners that will speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. 
If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. All right, so here again we see that the issue, as it has been all throughout this letter, is about maturity, growing up. Do not be children in your thinking. He's telling them, stop acting like children. Stop making it about me and my gift and, and have the maturity to appreciate the setting that you're in. He says, tongues in the church is a sign for unbelievers. And this was a bit of a flip in the way that they're understanding because the Corinthian Christians, they thought, they viewed tongues as a sign for believers. They thought that if someone speaks in tongues, that means they've really got it going on. Like they are next level Christians. They're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that you're not. You don't have it. They do. They're better. And Paul clarifies, no, it's not the case. And particularly in in corporate worship, tongues has the opposite effect of what God intends. Uh, it turns into a sign of judgment for unbelievers, not because God wants it to, but because the church hasn't taken the time to appreciate the setting and use their gifts in a loving way. And so he plays the scene out. He says, here's what's going to happen when an unbelieving person, so seekers, come into, into the church they're checking things out, right? And they come and they find everybody in the room is just speaking in tongues. What's going to happen? How is that going to play out? They say, these guys are a bunch of nut jobs. Let's get out of here. These guys are out of their minds. Now, that's the BMV, the Brian McIntyre version. Um, but it's close to what we just read in the ESV. And what happens is they walk out. They never come back. And tragically, they dismiss the claims of Christ. They, they never get the chance to hear the good news of Jesus, of the love and the grace and the forgiveness he offers. And ultimately, they wind up in hell. He says, that's a tragedy. God's message, it was there. They came to hear it. And it never got delivered. And there's eternal consequences because of that. But then he says, how about the other way? He says, how about if the same guys come into the church and they hear a crystal clear message that they completely understand, a message that comes from the heart of God, that's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he drives it home to their hearts in such a powerful and such a profound and a personal way that they receive it as this is God speaking directly to me. In other words, they're convicted to the heart. They realize God is after me. I cannot run anymore. I need to respond. They repent and they, they respond in faith. And at the end of the day, they, they join in the worship. They become worshipers themselves. That's, that's a good conclusion. That's the end that we're looking towards. That's the point of building up the body of Christ. And the reality is, he says, there's just too much at stake. Don't put up with nonsense because people's eternal destinies is at stake and we need to make the message crystal clear. So 
So maybe it's possible that you are that person this morning, right? You may have just, for whatever reason, you found your way in here. Maybe you just wandered around and you're just kicking around the tires. You're like, what is this God stuff all about? What is this Jesus stuff all about? What is this church all about? I'll tell you, this, it's about Jesus. It's about what he did on the cross for you, for me, so that we can be forgiven, so we can be made right with God again because we have a problem. Uh, we are created for a relationship with God, but we're separated from the God who we're made to, cre- made to be in relationship with because of sin. And that is the cause of all kinds of problems in our world. It's the cause of all kinds of problems in our lives. And we look for remedies in all different ways. Maybe I just need this job or more entertainment or this medicine. And you say the reality is you need, you need to be reconnected to the God who created you. And that's what Jesus came to do. Um, you see, we're not made right with God and people don't get into heaven because, because they're good people. We're not made right because we're good enough. We're made right because we're forgiven. And and God's love is so great that Jesus was willing to go to the cross, to die in your place, in my place, to pay the price for all of the junk that you have done and I have done, everything that separates us from God. Jesus said, I'm going to bear that. I'm going to pay for it in full. I'm going to satisfy that price completely so you and I wouldn't have to. So that by trusting in him, we can be forgiven, we can be reconciled, we can be restored to a right relationship with God and start living the full and the abundant life with God in it. Not because of how good we are, but because of how good Jesus is and his finished work. So if you are here this morning and you have never trusted in Jesus, I pray that before you walk out of this building that you will have, that you will join in the worshiper and become a part of the family of God. Uh, it starts with just a simple prayer of faith. In fact, we have a prayer room, people who would just love to lead you in that prayer of just, just turning away from sin and repentance and turning and trust to Jesus Christ and faith. And, and he promises to start a whole new work in your life that's alive to him. Starts today and doesn't end till eternity. And so Lakeview as a church, we have this incredible opportunity uh, to be a part of what God is doing, of proclaiming his word, his gospel, of building each other up. And uh, we have the responsibility at the same time to make sure that what is meant to be done gets done and we're not sidetracked and distracted. So let's make sure that this place remains a safe place, a welcoming place for people to hear, for each other to be built up, for God to be at work in our midst through the people around us. See, the people around you are not a distraction from what God wants you to do. They are the means through which God wants to do that work in your life to build you up, to encourage you, to edify you, to challenge you. Let's pray.